A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, guys, and welcome to episode 38 of Travel Talks, where this week, Saunders and I are going to talk about must-visit destinations, which hopefully and probably you've never heard of. Absolutely. I mean, it's been a couple of weeks since we've done one of these. Actually, it has. We haven't done one of these since the Euros. Yeah, uh, where we've kind of, you know, it's been, it's been, a, it's been a while. Exactly. Um, so it's quite cool to get back into it. And based on the the figures, at least, not to get too data heavy, but um, they seem to go down pretty well. <laughs> like the listeners seem to like these ones where we yeah. riff between us and talk, you know, do a little bit of our own research and pick up some cool destinations. So yeah, hopefully they like this one. Yeah, usually we have to come up with a really nice idea. And I think we've got a really, really good one today. So we've both gone away. We've done our research. We've come up with some places which have kind of caught our eye, which we hadn't heard of before we went away and did this research. And hopefully you guys haven't heard of them either, because after this, there'll be places which have hopefully been added to your bucket list. For sure. And I think we're actually doing a bit of a service here because... Let's be honest, when travel is properly kicking off again, Mm. there's going to be a lot of busy destinations. Oh, yeah. So having that sort of outside edge going to the less traveled destinations is going to be very, very useful to get a nice holiday, a nice break and explore some new things. And what we're doing essentially is creating a guidebook. (laughs) Yeah. And also you could be that cool guy that goes, "Uh, yeah, you could go to Rome, but have you heard of this place (laughs) on the outside of Rome, which doesn't get the credit it deserves? So you could be that cool guy at the dinner party who comes up with that really cool place that's outside of the norm as well. So we're always helping. We're always making people sound really cool. Hipster travellers like it. Oh, yeah. That's the word I was looking for, probably. (laughs) Um, Before we get into that, should we recap on some of the comments and some of the engagements we've had over the last few um, few weeks? Because we've had some quite interesting revelations i'd say from the listeners yeah it's always good we love hearing from you guys i know we perhaps don't push this quite enough but every single time you get your comments and stuff involved it really does mean a lot so if you ever think you want to reach out to us and get involved just do it email any sort of engagement on instagram or twitter anything like that's great and saunders after amy fuller's episode Mm -hmm. it kind of got us thinking didn't it because her favorite city she came out and said that her favorite city was london and also it's where she currently lives so it certainly got me thinking do people live in their favourite city? So we put that poll out. We put it to our listeners and our Instagram followers. And the results of which were actually quite surprising mm. because I, I feel like we were maybe on the same wavelength that we, you know, we aspire to go to other places. We like getting mm. out of our comfort zone and seeing new things. So would we really pick you know, the city we live in to be our favourite city, despite mm. what Amy said? And the Travel Talk listeners agreed <laughs> in their mass. Yeah, it was, it was an absolute overwhelming result wasn't it yeah 79 percent said no 21 percent said yes yeah so that is interesting so i guess we should open up a discussion of why people think that you know discuss whether we could potentially say we live in our favorite cities or how we'd get into that way of thinking or even Mm. perhaps our favorite uk cities yeah so from my perspective people who don't know i live in a place called bracknell which isn't even a city so straight away i can vote yes in that respect but it did definitely get me thinking, like, why would you not want to live in your favourite city? Yeah, you've completed life, haven't you? If you yeah. live in your favourite city, you've completed it. So in a way, like, you could go and go on city breaks to fake your favourite city in the UK or even further afield. But if you can live your life in that city and every single day you spend, every time you go out of your house and step outside your front door, you're surrounded by your favourite city and everything that makes it your favourite city. Kind of, it may be a little bit envious in a way. It made me think... You know, why, why, I can choose to live anywhere. I can live anywhere I want. Why would I not live in my favourite city? So from your perspective, Saunders, as someone who lives in London, which most people and a lot of people will get to that later, think is the best city in the Western Europe. 
do you think London's the best city? I mean, I honestly think this question comes down to the sort of person you are. Mm. And I might be outspoken in saying this, but I think if you are the sort of person that likes to get out of there and gets their kicks from kind of being in unfamiliar situations, it's always mm. going to be difficult to say the place you live is your favourite place because you will always feel like you haven't found your favourite place yet. Because mm. if you if you have, then you don't need to keep exploring. If you found your favourite place, then why you, you know, you don't have the thirst to keep trying to find new places. True. And I think also if you are one of those people that doesn't like traveling or just like staying put, um, then it's going to be quite easy to convince yourself. Maybe you don't need convincing, but at least help you your, yourself think, I already live in my favorite place. Yeah. You... I live here. I grew up here. Every, all my friends are here, whatever. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I completely get that. I, it definitely makes me, it made me wonder. So for example, like obviously I've said I don't live in my favorite city. And there isn't a whole lot that I do rate about the place which I live, which is kind of strange to say out loud. But it made me realise perhaps why I love travelling so much and exploring. Mm. Because arguably the times that I escape and get out and get to new exciting places, they're the times that I enjoy most. But definitely it's, it's put some thoughts in my mind about potentially trying to move to a city I would classify as my favourite city. So just a silly little Instagram poll could potentially be huge. Well, I mean, these are big questions. When you say that, do you mean within the UK? Or are you thinking, you know, anywhere in the world? Uh, there's There's been thoughts, definitely, um, and discussions about moving abroad. But it's, my girlfriend and I have looked into it in the past, but it's always such a mammoth task in terms of uprooting mm. your life. And you'd get to a place and perhaps like we've spoken about Italy, for example, you get to a place like Italy and you haven't got any friends, you haven't got any family, you can't speak the language, it's a notoriously hard language to speak and to learn, you'd probably get very lonely very quickly. Mm. So I think this idyllic life that you see people paint online of how amazing it would be to live in a country like Italy, Italy wouldn't actually be that great in practice. But like you said about in the UK, I think there's definitely something to be said about moving somewhere a little bit further away where you could still see your friends, still see your family, meet new people, you know, the language, all this kind of stuff. Um, but you're in a more exciting place. So that's that's where my head's been at, definitely. I've always wanted to live somewhere else and try it, you know, even mm. if it's just six months or a year or so. But within that, there's always like the afterthought that I return home. Yeah. I've never actually had the... The thought of being like, I want to move somewhere and live there forever because there's mm. a home comforts that I enjoy here. Mm. So, yeah, similar to you. You know what? I want to put this question back out to the listeners again. Mm. You know, do you know, we already know about the answer to the question of do they live in their favorite city? But could they imagine living anywhere else? Yeah. You know, okay. Is it just a, a convenience thing? You know, you live somewhere because your family there or your work's there, or whatever. Or could you generally see yourself living somewhere else in the world? Are you planning it? Are you thinking, mm. I'm going to do this? Has lockdown made you realise I want to go live somewhere else? We want to hear your stories and your decisions. Let us know. Yeah, it's definitely going to be being brought on by lockdown. I'm sure. I'm sure lockdown would definitely have made people assess their lives and what they're doing on a day to day basis and whether they want to do that going forward. But on that point, you mentioned there about the, the family and the friends drawing you back in. It's, it's one of those things that it's a really positive thing when you actually kind of boil it down to what it is. It kind of means that what you value in life and what what you really do enjoy, you're surrounded by and you're happy with at the moment. So you can't really deep that too much and you, you yeah, have to almost be grateful for that. And the place, the place that you're in kind of gives you access to all of that too. That was a good little interim chat before we get onto the main subject of mm. today's episode. Um, I enjoyed that. And I do really implore listeners, let us know about any future travel living plans you might have mm. you know places you think you could live in the world and if you've got anything in the plans we want to know about it i'm actually fascinated to see where people could live even mm, the, the big question if you could live anywhere in the world you know it works for your lifestyle for your job yeah. whatever you need it to work for where is that place i'm so keen to hear if anyone actually is going to make that leap because like for example a friend of mine moved to south korea uh six months ago now it's been six wow. months a massive lifestyle change. He's literally just uprooted his life. He lived in Bracknell. Now he lives in a place called Andong in South Korea. He, he, his entire day-to-day -day life has just changed overnight. And it took that leap of faith, like a really, really brave decision to, to make that happen. He'd never been to Asia before. He'd basically never been to anywhere outside of Europe. And he just took that leap and moved to South Korea. So I think that's what it takes sometimes. Is he loving it? Just though? a complete leap of faith. He is, yeah. He's having a really good time. And 
for him it really worked and it was one of those it's like it needs to work for you at the time of your life that you're in i think there's a there's an interesting follow-up to that as well as a caveat is i think it's very very fair to say there will never feel like a right time Mm, that's true to uproot your life so if you're thinking about it do it yeah that's a very like gung-ho approach people might be a little bit more reserved and like weigh up the pros and cons a bit more but like if you're looking for a perfect time to do anything that's that big it will never come you have to just you know you have to do it do what your friend did and just go for it it is yet to become a massive tourism hotspot an accommodation you can get as little as ten dollars a night researching this more i actually i think i'm gonna go there oh this is huge honestly i feel like we're getting there before anyone else this is like pure hipster vibes again There are around 750 mountain gorillas out there in the world at the moment, and over 400 of them live inside Bundi in Uganda. Wow. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever wanted to visit an actual oasis in the desert? It's crazy, isn't it? It's like nowhere else I've ever seen in the world. When I stumbled across it, I was like, is this place even on Earth? must visit destinations you've probably never heard of so do you want to start this mate i'm keen to yeah. hear what you want to say i think this is a, like i said at the start i think this is useful as well because you know it helps you go off the beaten path to places that won't be hopefully really rammed and to begin that i've gone with that theme yeah i've gone with that theme of what actually could be feasible this year or mm. even next year right so my first choice is Orid in North Macedonia. Now, do you remember this came up a little bit in the Euro conversation? Yeah, it definitely rings a bell. Um, yeah, we spoke about it. Lake, isn't it? It's a Lake Orid. Uh, where it is in terms of North Macedonia, it's about three hours outside Skopje, which mm. is the capital, or Skopje. I don't know how to pronounce it. But um, because it's only three hours, it's got all the transport connections and the international airport you'd need there. But the main thing is, is because of it being North Macedonia and not the likes of Italy, not mm. the likes of Spain, it has a very a fraction of the tourism mm. a lot of the tourism is locust actually interestingly i read you get a lot of greek people that go there wow greece is amazing but i suppose and you think what greece is like yeah. yeah it comes back to our point again though you, you don't take uh you take for granted what you're surrounded by so there we go there we go and you know the reason they go there as well is because the greek border is actually only two hours away if you're going to fire off a few facts about it go for it mate so I can paint a picture so the listeners can kind of see how it looks like and imagine what this place is. Nice. So Lake Orid and Orid straddles the mountainous border between the southwestern part of North Macedonia and eastern Albania. And the lake itself is one of Europe's deepest and oldest lakes. Nice. It's very medieval-esque in terms of the architecture, lots of cobbled streets, narrow streets, that sort of thing. And it is yet to become a massive tourism hotspot. Oh, this is huge. Honestly, I feel like we're getting there before anyone else. This is like pure hipster vibes again. I love <laughs> it. Look, researching this more, I actually, I think I'm going to go there. Nice. You definitely should. And I, I'm going to keep talking about it and hopefully you'll get why. Yeah. So it's basically, on paper, it's a vacation, as, it's a holiday maker's paradise, right? You've got mm. glimmering beaches, great views, Mediterranean vibes and food, also a bit of Turkish and Greek stuff coming in there. But the, probably the biggest thing about all of it it is very budget friendly. Nice. This is what we like to hear. I've got a couple of examples. Essentially, there are all these little initiatives that they do to get people going there. Things like free walking tours, mm. reduced entrance to museums and uh, landmarks, stuff, stuff like that. But in terms of day activities, I'm going to pull a couple out there. So the example of renting a boat or a kayak for two mm. hours will cost you roughly a, the equivalent of about $5. So about £3.50. Awesome. Now, in Italy, that's 25, 30 quid. Yeah, straight, straight away. away. Yeah. In terms of eating, you've got roughly cost between four and eight dollars. So three and seven quid for a meal and accommodation. You can get as little as ten dollars a night. So eight, seven, eight quid a night. Wow. Now, we don't know what that accommodation is like because there is, you know, the, the let's say, Balkan, uh, Balkan budget. accommodation but there is also luxury (laughs) hotels and villas and stuff there as well so i'm sure you can spend a little more to get luxury Mm. and quality but the budget option is there for what is a very very cool place i found a couple of descriptions of orid which made me laugh right so lonely planet described it as one of europe's most seductive destinations (laughs) right okay (laughs) i don't know what that quite means but it's also (laughs) been referred to as the jerusalem of the balkans okay 
am, am I selling it to you? Because yeah, honestly, I, in my mind, you, you said close your eyes and picture it. I'm genuinely picturing like Slovenia. I think very similar, yeah. I imagine it's probably very similar, yeah. So like a similar Lake Orida, I imagine it's probably similar to Lake Bled. You, yeah, you've got some um, nice architecture, loads of mountainous regions. It, it sounds very similar to Slovenia. Two main, two f- more points I'm going to add to it. Okay. The first is just to follow up from the food. In terms of what you're eating, mm. you've got a mix of cultures because you've got the Mediterranean, uh, you know, influences with Italy and you know Albania, and also you've got Mas- the Macedonian culture, Greek coming in. So you've got this mm. real mix of all these different cuisines that comes back, and it what they refer to it as it being like Mediterranean, Mediterranean and Turkish flavors with a hint of Italian zest. Oh. Sounds good. I don't know about you, but that yeah. is like the dream cuisine for me. That sounds seriously good, to be fair. Uh, Temperature-wise, this is important. People want to know yep. what they're getting into. In the summer, it's sort of a paradise. From May onwards, basically, there's very little rain and temperatures between that 23, 24 degrees and 31 degree nice. mark, which, as you said in another yeah. podcast, is optimum temperature. Yeah, that's perfect. It gives you options, right? It's not too hot to not be able to do activities, go mm. on hikes, big walks, you know, that sort of thing. But it is hot enough still to sunbathe and swim mm. in the lake and do the adventurous, you know, outdoor activities and things like that. It sets itself up as a very desirable location. And just because of how affordable it is and it not being busy, I want to go there. Mate, you've honestly picked out a gem there. Like, I know, I know easily, you, like we said before, sometimes you, you pick out these places and a few of mine, just to, to have a little uh, sneak peek, these are like far-flung places. Your place is a very realistic destination. Because I imagine right now, North Macedonia is on the amber list. You can go there quite easily if you've had both jabs. I think this is a very realistic opportunity for a holiday this year. Love it. Off to a good start. What's your What's your first selection, mate? I want to know. Right. So a uh, little bit further afield. So uh, perhaps not one for right now, but for when the world opens up again. It's a place called Jigakadani Monkey Park in Japan. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So it's uh, a place that's west of Tokyo. Um, and it's in the Japanese Alps, which is a bowl-shaped valley where the world's northernmost primates, the Japanese macaques, also known as the snow monkeys, soak in the hot water springs or onsens. And it Love is that. absolutely unbelievable. Have a little look for pictures whenever you want, whenever you get a free chance. Jigakudani Monkey Park in Japan is absolutely incredible. So you've got these monkeys with their bright red faces that basically gravitate towards these hot springs, these onsens, and just bathe in them all day. And you can basically get entrance to this park, walk around and see it for yourself. Jigakadani Monkey Park is in a place called Yamanuchi. So basically it's split up. So you've got 
part of the monkey's natural habitat, so mixed forests of uh, Jigakadani. And it's close also to the onsen towns of Shibu and Yudanaka. So these two towns basically have loads of onsens and loads of hot water springs. And combined with Jigakadani forests, basically, the monkeys just go between the two. And it's awesome. They basically just find and hunt out these springs and chill out all day. But also, they've created this massive, large, man-made, essentially like a hot tub for monkeys. <laughs> it's, it sounds like an absolute dream. If you're a monkey, it sounds awesome. Uh, basically, it's where a lot of the monkeys gather. So they've got lots of onsens in the place, but the, the park's main man-made pool is where large groups of monkeys gather. And there's no fences between you and the monkeys. So they're right there in front of you and there's nothing stopping them from coming towards you or vice versa and it's just it sounds like an unbelievable experience it really does that sounds like a a nature lover's dream yeah i think if japan wasn't already like a desirable enough destination this is amazing like after the episode with nick cassidy last week Mm. i'm already like massively on a japan hype like wanting to go back and do the things i didn't do before Mm. Uh, and now i want to add this to the list because this sounds amazing yeah, there's, there's the thing of Japan, right? Like you mentioned there, there's so many things that you can do. And I think most people, when they go that far across to the other side of the world, they, they make it a nice long trip. So whether that be two weeks, three weeks, a month, this could definitely be a, a little thing that you want to tick off whilst you're in Japan. And it, it's quite easy to achieve as well, because as everyone knows, Japan's very easy to travel around. We mentioned it in Nick's episode as well, about how the trains are so efficient. Uh, you said someone does a, an article in the paper when a yeah, train was a new, late a news that, story yeah that's yeah. how big it is it's a massive deal when something's late so it's so easy to get around japan and uh, you can get to jigakadani monkey park by basically taking a train a bullet train from tokyo and uh, to get some prices it costs 59 pounds that's converted from today's currency exchange as well so very up to date and it takes two hours and 40 minutes from tokyo on the train so it's very very attainable very easily done and uh, i'm sure you know saunders but for people who don't know if you're going to japan you can basically get this essentially like a a train or travel card which you can Mm -hmm. use for your entire trip which gives you unlimited travel around the entire country so add this to your list and basically go and do it and find a way to make it work and fit within your itinerary. Okay, well, shall I move on to my second one then? Go for it, mate. Okay, let me let me ask you a question for the oh. second one. Tell me, and this is a question for the listeners as well. Have you ever wanted to visit an actual oasis in the desert? I've not thought about it, but I suppose, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's why, you know, destinations you've probably never heard of. Yeah. This is literally perfect. So the Peruvian settlement of Huacachina. Beautiful pronunciation, by the way. We can't just let that slide. I don't know. I might have murdered it. I it might sounded awesome. It. Um, yeah, Huacachina. It's about as close as you can get to an oasis in the desert that is, mm. you know, a, a holiday destination, uh, you know, with hotels, restaurants, nightclubs, etc. It's like a village surrounding this lagoon. In terms of where it is, it's about five hours away from Lima. So it's a decent distance away from the capital city, but only mm. 15 minutes away from the nearest city of Ica in southern Peru. And what, what else is interesting about this location is it is kind of in the middle. This Imagine this, there's a big lagoon, like a lake, and surround, you've got these like buildings surrounding it, and the rest around it is literally desert. So wow. you feel like there's nothing around. You're in the desert, and the reason you don't know anything's around is because you've got some of the biggest sand dunes on the continent surrounding this area. Wow. Like, we're talking over 6,000 feet above sea level. Huge sand dunes take hours to climb. It's it's really... I I honestly would implore anyone listening right now to Google it. I'm going to Google it right now just so I can kind of create a picture. Google it right now. I want to see your reaction. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that is is kind of what I had in mind. It almost looks... Is it? Yeah, it must be man-made. It's just in the middle of absolutely nowhere. So the water, the water isn't man-made. The water is natural. It was originally. And then they built around it. It's got a really interesting kind of mythical story around it about a uh, like a king's wife or a queen or something but um yeah it's really interesting i'll read off some uh, a few more facts about it because there are kind of legends about the water and the areas the mud mm. within the water being really therapeutic and a lot of locals and tourists even go and bathe in the waters and or you know completely cover themselves head to toe in the mud to try and cure things like arthritis and rheumatism and even okay. asthma it's just one of those, you know, local, you know, legends that you go and bathe in the water or go and cover yourself <laughs> in the mud and you can cure yourself of all your ailments. And another interesting fact about Huacachina is you can actually see it on the back of Peru's 50 soul bill. Okay. 
it's very small. Only a hundred people or so live there permanently, but it does mm. get thousands of visitors each year. But yeah, well worth a Google to check that out because if you're ever in Peru, it just seems like somewhere you have to go. Yeah, nice. It definitely ticks that box of something somewhere you have to go to, but you've probably never heard of. Yeah, exactly. No, nailed it. Nice. Okay, hit me with the next one. Okay, so I'm going to keep the theme of animals going. Be ready, mate, to have your mind absolutely blown. So it's a place called Bwindi uh, Impenetrable National Park in Uganda. So uh, just to kind of paint the picture to people who are listening, it's a 321 kilometer squared uh, national park. So absolutely massive. Can we just go back to the name of it? It's called Bwindi Impenetrable National Park. <laughs> yeah, there's no way in. What a name! <laughs> unbelievable name uh it it was declared a unesco world heritage site mate in 1994 so they understand how special this place is uh so to kind of create the picture of where it is uh southwest in uganda and have a look for some photos because it's absolutely amazing i can't i can't explain it and do it justice but it's a mist covered hillside and in the hillside live all of these mountain gorillas and that's what makes makes this place so special you can basically go and see mountain gorillas up close in their natural habitat and to put into context how special this place is right uh so in the wild at the moment obviously they're an endangered species uh mountain gorillas there are around 750 mountain gorillas out there in the world at the moment and over 400 of them live inside Bundi in Uganda. Wow. So it's unbelievable how many of these gorillas live in this one place. So it dates back 25,000 years, this national park. And it also contains 400 different species of plants. So it's just, it's so diverse in terms of like a natural landscape. I've just had a look at some images of it. It looks Mm. amazing. And I think... It's one, you know, it's one of the countries in Africa that's doing like a massive tourism push at the moment, isn't it? Mm. Uganda, similar to Rwanda and the Congo as well. They're both pushing. Yep. They're all pushing, like, you know, come here. You don't have to look at us as a place you can't come to for for holiday destinations, or you know, put us below somewhere else. Because they've got these amazing things on display, you know, like this national park. Mm. Uh, also, some really cool uh, coastal areas. You don't think about it. You know, they're not the obvious destination choices, but they're there, ready to be enjoyed. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And uh, Andy Castell, when uh, we had him back on the podcast a little while back, he went to Uganda. He told some amazing stories about the stuff he got up to there and he was singing the praise of its country as well. So you're definitely right. We don't we don't think about countries in Africa in the same way as we do think about countries in Asia, for example, or South America. But there's so many amazing things to be discovered. I think it's really important for their their development as well their sustainability as a Mm. nation because you know the more money they can make from things like tourism and things that can be done in a sustainable way the less they need to be doing things that you know aren't necessarily protecting their country's future or or, you know adding to any global issues so you know we almost owe it to these countries that we've been ripping off over the years (laughs) for whatever trade and colonization whatever to put back into their local economies and go see what they're about and learn the culture yeah, and this this is such an easy way to do it as well because, like I said, it, it's the only place you should really be considering if you want to go see mountain gorillas and it is absolutely amazing. So imagine thick jungle. To kind of paint the picture on how possible this is, obviously we can talk about these ideas of going to far-flung places, but if it's not actually reachable uh, by major transport, for example. Uh, but this place really is. It's a little bit more difficult, let's be honest, than going to somewhere in Europe or Asia, for example. But there are flights that take you to Uganda, uh, but they stop off in Dubai. So obviously you have to do a change. Uh, they cost around £500, so no more than you would really pay to go to Asia. So in terms of that respect, it's, it's quite affordable. You'll need transport from the airport to get to the national park. But I think this is where the tours come in. So in terms of supporting local communities as well, most tours will pick you up from the airport, sort out your accommodation, uh, and all of that will come under the fee to kind of go to the national park and have a tour guide for the day or for a few days if you're going for a few days. And they come in at around £500 per day. So it's an expensive trip. Don't get me wrong, but it it really is a once in a lifetime experience. Obviously, like you mentioned uh, with Macedonia, there's there's levels that you can stay in uh, campsites, for example, and campsites will cost you twenty pounds a night. But if you want to stay in luxury, there are those options too. So, for example, you can stay mm. within the national park in one of their luxury lodges, but that will cost three hundred pounds per night. So you've got scales you've got the extreme luxury and you've got the camping at 20 pound a night so you've got options to fit all budgets as well 
One thing I say when when uh, it's easy to get put off by prices and things like that. I think mm. when you think oh three hundred pound a night, but you can spend one hundred and fifty quid a night on an Airbnb in York. Easy. You know? Uh, so let's just think if you pay double that but you're staying in a luxury lodge in a national park in uganda with like an extremely rare animal there and an experience that literally you could not get anywhere else in the world Mm. is it worth the extra 150 quid a night yes of course it is definitely is yeah it got me thinking as well mate you you mentioned uh going on safaris you've done a few before what is your best safari experience that you can call back to Safari-wise, the ones I've done have all been in South Africa. Okay, cool. Um, and it was really interesting, actually. We went on one that was just a, literally like two, three hours long or so. We were in the back of this Land Rover. I've got actually a really cool story. So nice. we're in the back of this Land Rover, uh, and it's sort of been built so you sit higher than the driver and you can kind of cool. you know, see what's going on. Uh, and within the first hour, we thought we saw three of the big five. Oh. And we were like, wow, this like rhinos are really hard to see. You know, they're yep. getting more and more endangered. We actually saw some rhino poo. So there were rhinos there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but um, we never we never saw any in the flesh. But we saw lions, elephants, giraffe, etc. Wow. Um, we had this really interesting experience with the lion. So I didn't know that lions sleep like 10... No, lions sleep like 16 hours a day. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, they, they hunt and they sleep. They hunt, they sleep, yep. and they do something else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Without getting too uh, graphic. And uh, we, we kind of came across these these two sleeping lions. Uh, so the you know the guy pulls up the truck away, and we're looking at them, and it's yeah great. And this was part of a, a shoot I was doing for South Africa Tourism. Okay. So we had like a film crew with us. And the guy, one of the, the cameramen, a guy called Will... He was in front of me and he's filming uh, myself, Maya Jama and, and Alice Living. The three of us are traveling South Africa together. Yeah. And, uh, w- you know, they're filming us, you know, what, taking pictures and having a good time and kind of being amazed by these two sleeping lions. Uh, and while he does that, his backpack rolls off his shoulder and falls out of the car oh, in God. between the car and the sleeping lions. <gasps> and the driver is like, whatever you do, don't you even think about getting the backpack. Like, oh, don't even God. think about you trying to get that. I'm going to have to figure out how I do this. So essentially what he does very slowly is he moves the van, the car around and parks it in between us and the lions. Yeah. So he can reach out the what is then the driver's door away from the lions and pick it up and it's on the opposite side. What that yeah. means is we are literally on top of the sleeping lions. Oh my God. And I've got this picture. Maybe we can share this picture. Yeah, right. let's do I, it. I was on I was on a twenty five millimeter lens. So let's that just for anyone that knows it, that's not a zoom lens. Yeah. That's you know, it's a pretty much It is what it is. What's in front of you yeah. is what it is, right? And this picture of the lion is so close up as it's wow. And it was such a surreal experience. That's so cool, man. And it all happened because Will dropped his back. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that was really cool. Um, in terms of other animal experiences, um, one more. Again, in South Africa, actually, yeah. funnily enough. Uh, we went on the uh, same trip. We went on a uh, shark cage diving little thing where you go oh. basically off on a, on a rib boat into kind of like in the middle of the, the ocean. And uh, like the expert throws kind of this chow. It's basically like a mix that the sharks love Yeah. Uh, into the water and then kind of pulls drives them or drives the boat and pulls them away a little bit so that you, you the sharks follow the chow so it's almost like they think it's fish because it's moving uh, okay and what you get is that once he turns the engine off and he goes yeah this is the place we'll do it you've just got these fins just circling <laughs> the thing and we're only in like an basically industrial but you know inflatable rib boat we're not yeah. in like a big vessel or anything um so then they put the cage in and we get in the cage and the, the sharks are all swimming around the cage and the chow oh is like God. floating in and out of the cage so they're like coming right up to the, the side of it and we've got this footage and these photos of this these sharks literally like being like head on oh with these God, bull sharks they're not overly aggressive sharks thankfully but um yeah it was really like weird being in the water and them just swimming around you. And then Jeez. the guy that was doing like the boat, he just jumps in the water outside of the cage. What? He's swimming around in a wetsuit. And he's like, yeah, he's an expert. And he's like, yeah, I can tell from their mentality that they're not aggressive today. So it's not, I'm, not a, I'm not at risk. Oh so he's just floating around like taking pictures of us in the cage with the shark. That's ridiculous. Um, but then it gets even better because after we did that if that experience wasn't cool enough on the way home back to the shore this was near Durban Durban in South Africa I remember this right but on the way back to the shore we saw um, humpback whales breaching out of the water oh man what an experience I didn't even know you'd done this yeah it's all on this this South Africa tourism like film we did but um yeah it was amazing like because we were in this little rib boat we're quite close to the the water 
we're not imposing for the whales so they're breaching all right next to us and stuff wow it was that was a surreal experience that was proper cool anyway we've got a bit off topic there no i love it that was so good experiences but yeah do you want to take us into your next one mate your final one actually so the final one i went with now it's a bit controversial because i think people have probably heard of this as a location but the reason why I brought it up is because one, I don't think it gets the credit it deserves. Mm. And two, because it's in Malaysia. And the other reason is because I've talked to people that have gone on holidays to Malaysia and I've asked them if they've been there mm. and they've looked back at me like I'm, you know, I'm a weirdo because they've never really? heard of it. Okay. So that's, that's what makes me want to bring it up. Yeah. But I think people would have heard of this one. It's the Cameron Highlands in Malaysia. Have you heard of it, first of all? I have heard of it, yeah. So um, my girlfriend and I have planned a, a trip to Asia and Cameron Highlands is on the itinerary. And I was actually speaking to Christian Harold Baker about this place because um, I knew he went to Malaysia and he kind of warned me off against it. And I didn't actually uh, follow up why because we were talking about other things at the time. But interesting. I'd be intrigued as to, as to know why, basically. So that, that's interesting. Yeah, so... I'm not sure. I'm trying to think of why he might have told you not to go there. Okay, unless you have a bad experience or so. Yeah. But uh, the thing is, you have to dedicate time to it because it is kind of out of the way. If, you, if you're going be, yeah. going a quite a strict Malaysian itinerary and you want to hit all like, the key points, especially if you want to do a lot of the coastal stuff and the islands, mm. then you might not go to the Cameron Highlands because you're dedicating at least a couple of days to go in uh, and up because it's yes, quite high yeah. up. So maybe that's why. But... It's really interesting because it's a place in Malaysia, which is a really humid, like Asian hot country with, you know, crazy downpours of rain, just like anywhere else in Asia. Yeah. But when you get to the Cameron Highlands, because of its altitude, it's basically like being in a UK summer. Wow. Okay. The weather is very, very manageable. It's not too humid. It's chilled. A lot of Malaysian people go there as like a break from the heat. Wow. Okay. And a break. And yeah, it's interesting. Um, And what you get there is just acres let's not even acres hectares and hectares of yeah. tea plantations and some of the biggest you know tea companies in the world like bow tea for example b-o-h-t okay uh, that's yeah. where their plantations are and you can go there and have these tours of the tea plantations to kind of see how it grows learn how it's processed and you learn really interesting things about how tea is made that i will go ahead and say will change your complete outlook on drinking tea wow okay have you got any which you remember yeah, so one thing I would say is that, you know, like your bog standard tea bags? Yeah. And let's, no, I won't say any brands, but you know, like your basic, basic yeah. tea bags. That's essentially the tea that ends up on the floor of a proper plantation like bow tea. Jeez. It's basically floor tea. <laughs> That's <laughs> like it's, awful. It's not the, it's not, you can obviously pay for, you know, the slightly upmarket tea brands mm. won't be. But in terms of your bog standard supermarket tea bag, yeah. it's the offcuts. It's the yeah. offshoots of good tea. No, it makes sense to be honest as to why it's so cheap. Yeah, and then you learn about you know when you go to like a the plantation like Boti and you go to how where it's all you know um, ref, not refined but you know it's mm. prepared and the taste of it, you're like, well, I definitely don't need to have milk with my tea because yeah. there's so much flavour in this. Mm. Like, why would I add milk to this? I'm ruining this the taste. Um, so that's interesting, and you get to see kind of a real agricultural kind of force of nature. Um, taking place because it's it's the optimum climate for for growing tea. It gets the you know a drizzle. It doesn't get downpours of rain that will mm. flood the soil. It has a you know a nice climate, nice temperature, and it's because of how high it is. Imagine mountains made of tea, basically. Yeah, that's the sort of visual I want you to imagine. I've I've seen photos before. It's just absolutely. It's just so so green for as far as the eye can see, basically. And it's about thirteen. Well, it starts at about thirteen hundred meters in altitude, goes up to about almost nineteen hundred meters. And because of that, the temperatures rarely peak more than 30 degrees. Mm, okay. Nice. Now imagine for Asia, that's you know, it's pretty yeah, rare. And yeah. it's not too humid as well. Um, there isn't just tea to do though. There are other things to do there in the Cameron Highlands. There are lots of hike lots of hiking routes, lots of other mountain activities you can do, some of which some of the hiking routes take you to waterfalls or <laughs> even the world's largest flower, which we saw when we right, were. Right, okay. I don't. I can't remember the pronunciation. I'm gonna get this wrong. I think, but it's the Paris. I think it's the parasitic Raphaelaza. Okay. Is the Latin for it? I might be wrong, but it's essentially it's really colourful, like ready, like bulby plant mm. uh, that can at full size can grow to be over seven kilograms in weight and almost <laughs> oh a meter God. in diameter. That's ridiculous. It's huge. It's huge flower. It's really rare and only grows in certain very very specific places in the world. And the Cameron Highlands is one of the places where it naturally grows. Wow. 
So that's a cool thing to do there. In terms of getting there, there are very, very regular buses that take you from Kuala Lumpur. That's how we got there. Yeah, okay. Um, almost like two or three a day to take you there. Um, very, very cheap. Like in terms of getting from a bus terminal in Kuala Lumpur to the main town in the Cameron Highlands, which is called Tanarata, it costs about or local local RM35, uh, which is probably about £6.50. Okay, nice. Also, haven't done the exact currency change. I've got it in mm. dollars. It's about eight eight dollars forty. Okay. Um, but yeah, so around about six pound fifty seven pound at the time of that. So it's very affordable to get there. The accommodation was very cheap. I think we were spending less than twenty pound a night to stay awesome. there. We just did a two two night thing, so three days, two nights. Uh, and the way to do it is you get a taxi basically, and it's quite a low cost taxi to take you between plantations or take you between places. So you can really see a lot of stuff, but be based out of one place, which is always easy. The final thing I'm going to say is a Go very on. particular type of cuisine, which is really interesting. And I know it's available elsewhere in the world, but I've never seen it anywhere else in the world apart from mm. Malaysia, which is the steamboat. Have you heard of the steamboat? I've not, no. So it's, it's basically like DIY eating. Okay. You get this steamboat. It's like a, a big bowl, essentially, with a, a, like a heat source at the bottom. And that can be electric in the modern day. But the traditional way is charcoal. Okay. So there's like a barbecue kind of heating up this broth above, which can either be like a for Thai sort of flavors, like Tom Yum kind awesome. of um, uh, flavor, or like a chicken broth. Mm. Uh, there is a, a natural one as well, which isn't meat related. But um, yeah, anyway. So that basically cooks this broth heats his broth and then you add all these different things you add noodles you'd add egg you add like little bits of fish you can add different vegetables and you cook it all together in this kind of steam boat contraption that sounds great uh, and you eat it so it's a really cool like cultural experience that you do yourself and uh yeah, it's real quirky and that's one of the things you can do in cameron highlands nice well obviously i had my doubts about going there on this trip to malaysia but you've definitely put it right back as a definite thing to do for sure would you say that the three-day trip that you did was like a good amount of time yeah i think you you probably don't want to do more than yeah more than three days two nights there because yeah, yeah there is you know it depends what you want to do like if you're doing hiking and stuff elsewhere then fair enough if you're doing like uh, you know similar things you can do in Cameron Highlands elsewhere in Malaysia then don't mm. necessarily say I'm going to have to do it in Cameron Highlands but in terms of seeing the plantations doing a tour doing some of the walks that sort of thing yeah two days you'll be fine awesome man sounds great and that leads us on to your final one yeah so this is a place which I'm very very excited about it's a place which I stumbled across on Instagram like many places which you want to go it's usually the place which uh Gives you the ideas to go to these far-flung places. It's a place called Xianjiaji National Forest Park in China. Well said. Thank you very much. <laughs> I was really nervous about that, to be honest. <laughs> I hadn't actually said that out loud. I doubt anyone has ever heard of this place, but you will definitely recognise it. Because basically, it was the inspiration for Pandora in the movie Avatar. Okay. So basically, it's these incredible mountains that basically look like they're floating out of nowhere. You've got these huge, huge pillars and you've got these clouds because they're so high up. The clouds float amongst the pillars. You guys have to see it for yourself. Xianjiaji National Forest Park. Just give it a Google. Go on YouTube. It's definitely something you have to see with your own eyes because like I've said before, I won't do it justice when I'm describing it. I've just had a look and I completely buy into what you said. I have seen it before, but I had no idea it was called that. It's crazy, isn't it? It's like nowhere else I've ever seen in the world. When I stumbled across it, I was like, is this place even on earth? Which I know sounds, it sounds really bold, but it's honestly, it's just so, it's so mad. So obviously within the national park, there's different things you can get up to, different things you can do. The The most famous and most recognisable place is a place called Hallelujah Mountain. So it's a stunning part of the forest. Uh, and basically it's the most Instagrammable spot. So if you've come across a photo of this place, it's probably Hallelujah Mountain. Um, and also a little fact for you, it's known for being the largest outdoor lift in the world it's a place called Baolong elevator it's an experience you apparently have to do for yourself if you go there and once you get to the top you'll have this incredible view across the entire park so of course that's hallelujah mountain but each of these little pillars or say little massive pillars surrounded by the clouds you can see for yourself from a really really high viewpoint it just looks absolutely amazing but one thing to be said is it's apparently 
so busy. So it's uh, like to be expected. It's a massive Chinese tourist hotspot. Um, many, many people go there to visit it. So all year round, it's going to be busy. You cannot avoid that. Uh, but apparently... April to November is the main tourist season. So if you want to go outside of that, um, you're going to avoid some crowds, but expect it to be ridiculously busy whenever you go, basically. Is it one of those places that it's it's because it's near a big city that it's easy that people go there? Or is it just because it's so breathtaking, people just go there to, regardless of how hard it is to get there? So it's not the easiest place to get to, to be honest. Um, it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere so to kind of paint the picture for people who know the geography of china so it's south of beijing south again of Xi'an, and west of shanghai so it's kind of between a few different places and you can get to it from all of those major cities it's got its own airport for example so you can fly directly into jianjiaje but the most convenient way for example is to, like we've said with most of these places, to kind of combine it into a trip. So, for example, if you're in Beijing, see Beijing, go down to Xi'an on the train, uh, which is four and a half hours on a bullet train. And then from Xi'an, you can fly direct on a 90-minute flight to Jianjiaje. So it's, it's one of those places you can't just try and fly there from anywhere in the world. You have to put yourself into a hub, which the airport flies directly to. Uh, but once you're there, it's it's obviously a short, internal, quite cheap flight. And you can fly there from Xi'an, from Beijing. You can fly there from Shanghai. Uh, you can actually fly there from Seoul as well. So you can combine it in terms of uh, any sort of um, Asian big trip, basically. And one thing, mate, that I've seen online a lot as well, they basically have this glass bridge inside the National Park as well. Oh, I think I've seen this. Yeah, it, it went viral um I think on Instagram and maybe on TikTok as well, because the glass bridge uh, pretends to crack. Oh, so it does. God. <laughs> it's kind of. It, it's got the sounds and it's got like a screen which displays like a cracking, uh, which makes people think they're going to plummet 360 meters down, which is obviously absolutely terrifying. Uh, I mean, so- have, have you ever. It makes me think of the phrase, you know, boy who cried wolf. Yeah. You know, one day it's going to actually crack and yeah. they'll be like, oh, it's just a video. Yeah, it's absolutely terrifying. I, I don't I don't think I could bring myself to walk across it. Like I went to Spinnaker Tower once and they've got a similar kind of thing. You can stand on this glass uh, square and look down and I couldn't even do that. So there's no way I'd be able to do it when it's this high. 360 metres is just, yeah, ridiculously high. Are you not good with heights then? I'm, I'm not good with heights uh, when there's... So for example, like if I'm on a cliff top and there's no mm-hmm. barrier or anything i'm just like i have to be like so far away from the edge but like if i'm on a bridge for example and it's like a very sturdy bridge and it's got like hoardings or whatever i can stand next to it and it's not an issue but yeah i think that'd be a bit much for me to look directly down <laughs> interesting because i was just i just googled the elevator and i was like yeah. if you're not a fan of heights <laughs> you might want to avoid that because that looks pretty crazy yeah uh, when uh, my girlfriend and i do go to china we'll definitely go to this place so we'll make sure to get lots of photos and keep people updated but it looks awesome so i think like all of these places they're they're all going to be nice to hear about but you have to see them for yourself so what we'll do is we'll put them in the show notes wherever you're listening to this podcast go to the show notes the description and copy and paste some of the names and go search for them for yourself because they are absolutely amazing so with that in mind, there are, of course, a load of places that we haven't referenced or haven't mm. mentioned, or perhaps we don't even know about. Yeah. So we want to know what those places are. What are your hidden gems? Why are places that you think are must-visit destinations that we've probably never heard of? Yeah, definitely. Get in touch. Give us an email on TravelTalksPodcast at gmail.com or reach out and send us a message on Instagram and we'll make sure to mention them in the next show. So there we go, another episode, Alex and I kind of talking about something interesting within the world of travel. I think we've done a good service here because we've talked about a legitimate place that could be yep. of interest, you know, soon. We've talked about real bucket list destinations yeah. and we've uh, gone to places that are like, you know, seriously out there, must visit locations that 
like the title of the podcast, people have probably never heard of. <laughs> yeah, you smashed this. I really enjoyed this, mate. It's been a really good one. So hopefully people have enjoyed it just as much as we have and found something useful, like you said, from it too. If someone goes to Macedonia this summer, that would be such an awesome feeling to know that you've recommended it to them and that's why they've gone. And I, I wouldn't rule it out, to be honest. I'd love that. I'd love that. It makes me think about, you know, where this podcast could go in the future, you know, like building up this community of listeners. Mm. Is it one of those things where we then put on a trip to North Macedonia oh. and we we go with the we go with some listeners and we do podcasts out there with them? You know, you know, I'm I'm looking ahead in the future, but that'd be uh, that'd be awesome. Anything's on the cards, and that's the beauty about you know things like podcasts and social media is that you can really just get an idea and take it to whatever level you want. So keep your ears peeled, guys. Trips to Macedonia in the future. Get on board. Give us an email if you want to get involved. <laughs> and if anyone from the Macedonian Tourism Board is listening, or North Macedonian Tourism Board, please get in touch. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com <laughs>